politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hello, friends and neighbors. Michael Benner on the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School program here on KPFK. Heard every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock in California. That's 20 hours universal. And we stream at kpfk.org. Thanks for joining us today. We're moving into the spring fun drive on KPFK. And so it's time to remind you to up your donation. Uh, We're appealing, especially given the difficulty of these times. A lot of folks have been out of work during the pandemic. Uh, We've all had our challenges Economically, this has been really difficult for KPFK as we are a listener-sponsored non-commercial radio station, as I'm sure you know and have been for over 60 years. And uh, it works really well when people are working and, and can make a contribution. So a special appeal to those of you who have been listening all along, but have never donated anything to this radio station. Remember, we are a nonprofit group. This is technically a charity, a 501c3. So all of your donation, every every penny is tax deductible. And that's a good thing, as it should be. To donate, I think the easiest way to make a contribution is simply to go to kpfk.org slash donate. And look for Sustainer's Circle. Then you can make a monthly contribution, set it, and forget it. $10, $20 a month, that all adds up. And at the end of the year, you, as I say, have a really nice tax deduction. But rather than having once or twice a year to think about making a larger donation, just have it set up with Sustainer's Circle so that the contribution comes every month right out of your bank account. Use your ATM card, your credit or debit card at kpfk.org slash donate. You can do that now. We'll talk about this a little more at the end of the radio program. But I want to mention that at the top of the show as we introduce our guest who is with us today to talk about meditation in general about meditation and its relationship to prayer and spirituality, about a particular type of meditation that goes back thousands of years called Vipassana, and about the beneficial effects, especially the healing effects of Vipassana. My guest is the co-founder of the Insight Center in Westwood, California, right here near the UCLA campus, Juliet Sapikian. And Juliet, Hi. good afternoon. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Welcome to KPFK. Thank you for having me. Well, we chatted briefly when we scheduled this interview, and you began to tell me the most amazing story of 
your recovery. Yes. And I really would like to begin with that story. It's just gripping and I think must have surprised you as much as anybody else. So why don't you give us the backstory of the pulmonary distress that you suffered and what you did about it? I was undiagnosed for quite a while, which is my senior gravis, which led to uh, my paralysis of my upper airway and my vocal cords. And I ended up having a respiratory arrest December 9th, <laughs> 1997. And um, everybody assumed that I had too much stress. I was a, man, a director of a clinic or going through an audit, you know, all the external um, stuff. And uh, I was in a hospital for three months. And the first two months, uh, they had no idea what was wrong. And uh, they did all kinds of uh, tests and brought all kinds of specialists. But the uh, first two months in the ICU uh, wasn't quite... <laughs> I was out of it. I would just go in and out. For me, the experience is hard for me to hear when I listen to my family describing it. Like uh, I was being admitted and I needed oxygen and the doctor forgot to write it. And admission wanted me to fill out the paperwork before they give me oxygen. So I apparently became demanding, and they gave me a shot of some kind of tranquilizer or something, and my body collapsed completely. It was in the last leg, and I went into respiratory arrest, and my youngest sister, who's a physician, has to intubate me right there and there because there wasn't any doctors around. Let me ask you, when you say intubation, I hear that word. I'm not sure I know what that means. Is that where a tube is put down the throat, or is that the same as a tracheotomy? No, uh, no, it's when tube is down the throat, and uh, but they can only keep it for week, maximum ten days, depending on the muscle and tissues of the individual. And they, for me, uh, after five days, it wasn't working. So then they did the. Uh, the tracheotomy in the throat. Opening of my airway. <laughs> and then you're on a ventilator yes, like a COVID yes, patient might yes. be. Yes. And um, I um, initially um, would go in and out. It's like I would wake up my eyes and it was light and then I would close my eyes and woke up my eyes and it's dark. And so it was just light and dark and... For a long time, I was wondering, after I came out, whether the light was really the daylight or there was something else. And family would say, no, I visited you at night. I don't know what light you saw. So that was one of the mysteries of that period. But once they put me on a ventilator, I had seven tubes. I couldn't feel anything, move anything, do anything. A lot of families and friends um, would come and visit, and it was hard for me to see what they saw in their faces. And so I asked for only close friends and um, family to come and just be aware because I'm I wasn't in pain. And um, 
the challenge was getting used to breathing through my throat. I keep trying to breathe through my nose, through my mouth, and and then all the bells and whistles will go up. And all the nurses and the doctors will run in, and then I pass out. Um, and when I come back to, they're like, "Don't fight it, don't fight it, let it go, let it go." And, and I was like, "How do? What do you mean, let it go? How do I let it go?" I mean, I'm talking to myself. And they're like, just take it easy. Just take it easy. And I was like, how do you take it easy? Look at me. I have seven tubes coming. You've got these bubble things massaging my arm and my feet. And nurses come and move me so I won't have atrophy. And But then it got to a point that um, I think it was after my... Um, my dad visited and he was, he's a, he was a physician and, um, it was the second time I saw him cry that he wished he could change places with me and he, that he couldn't do anything. So I asked my sisters not to have him come anymore because it was just too hard for him and it was hard for me to watch that. And then my mom came. And ironically, she was going through uh, chemotherapy, and we used to take turns of staying with her. One night in the middle of the night, um, she, my sister noticed she got up and got the key and got dressed and was ready to leave. And uh, my sister asked her, where are you going? I, said, I need to see Juliet. I need to let her. She can't go. I need to let her know she can't go. I mean, these are the stories I hear afterward. But what I do remember is I came to my mom holding my hand and saying, don't you dare go before me. And uh, once you get better, I promise you, I take you to Holy Land for pilgrimage, which for me as a Baha'i, it's Haifa. And those words, I mean, they don't. Right now, when I say them, I said, okay, there was some other thing was in operation because those words just opened up something. And a room that was so, appeared to be so small and so dark, it just became open. And um, after that, I thought to myself, you know, if I go, I go, but I have a feeling that I'm not going to go. Mom says you can't go. So... I'm not going to go. And uh, I don't quite remember the transition because they moved me from um, units to units and different sections of the ICU, depending on the need at the moment, whether it was you know, my respiration or whether it was my uh, brainwave or whatever. You know. So what I do remember was afterward, I was in a room and I thought, okay, power that be. If I'm supposed to go, I'm ready. I've had my fun, but I really don't want to because of mom. And something happened. I just like, like a warm water or like I was submerged in warm water and I let go. And it, it, I don't have really words to talk about, to, to describe the feeling, but it was like I became weightless, I became um, just light. And the only thing I could hear was the rhythm of the uh, ventilator. Poof, poof, poof. (laughs) And then I watched the rise and fall of my um, chest or my tummy. 
And then I, by, by just letting go, I started feeling tingling all over my body. And then I became very acutely aware of the contraction and um, let, letting go and contraction of the bubbles they had around me. And that by itself, I was like getting really happy and kind of like <laughs> I was high and I don't have words. But um, the uh, doctors were very puzzled. They didn't know what was wrong or what to do because I couldn't sit up. Every time I sat out, uh, they tried to raise my head. I will pass out and go into respiratory arrest. So it um, took a while, but at some point I told them, I said, uh, oh, my brother, God bless him, brought a laptop and generated a phone, and they put my hand on the keyboard and put wooden plaques on my elbows so my hands can stay straight. And then I, I started moving my finger and typing, and that's how I started communicating. So I communicated to the, when my um, siblings were there, that I like for them to be present and hold my hand and just tell the doctor to bring me up just a little bit. And when I go like that and shake my head, no, then, then stop. Don't try to bring me up higher. So just a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, I sat up. Over what period of time? How long did it take you to sit up? Are we talking within one day or many days? Many days. If I was in ICU for two months. So the sitting up process was very gradual. Yeah, the first month I was so out of it, nothing was. <laughs> I had no idea. I just knew I just phased in and out and um, don't have a lot of memory of what the doctors did or or said. And that's another sad thing for me is that my um, oldest sister was by my side 24-7, and she heard all the doctors' lack of prognosis or bad news, and uh, I'm so grateful to her um, for, one, not telling me, and two, not doing what, what they suggest. They were going to send me to a nursing home. And she was like, they, they told her, just make her comfortable any day now. Just like, nope, she's coming home and she's going to be fine. <laughs> Let me ask you, Julieta, at what point did you realize that the letting go feeling, the floating, the allowing the ventilator to breathe you? Yes, and to relax and simply observe the process was, in fact, a type of meditation. At that time, I had no idea. I just, I didn't even think of it as observing. I didn't even label it. I didn't even um, know what was happening. I just knew that this feeling um, of so-called letting go. I don't even know what I let go of even then, but it was just at that point, it was like, okay, uh, I'm not going to fight to live or not live. I know I'm not going to die. Mom said you're not, and that's it. And, but so here we go. So that part of let it go is the only thing I have that I can describe. 
And the whole process that I'm describing to you is what I found out exactly what happened afterward when I went to my first Vipassana training at California Vipassana in Center in North Fork, California. And uh, similar experiences that I had at the hospital <laughs> started happening. And some of the experiences I had, I was able to discuss with the uh, teachers and understood part of it and then over the years been trying to find words for it but uh, it um, it's given me a few things one is a lot of times people say oh let it go detach let it go and it's like what are you letting go of what is it that you're attached to that you need to go and if you force yourself to detach yourself are you really letting go <laughs> so what is the process of letting go and that's what I learned uh, by uh, studying Buddha's um, teaching on Vipassana meditation with my teacher Haiwal Suname and realized letting go is letting go of our own understanding, perceptions, meaning system, cultural, environmental, and examine everything like, okay, I think this way or I feel in in the beginning you're just observing it, but later on, you you know, as you come out of the meditation, you contemplate, and little bit by little bit things changed. So afterward, after I left um, ICU, I was in CCU learning to walk and <laughs> tried to have a voice box and and learn how to operate uh, a smaller um, ventilator. And I realized that ventilator wasn't my enemy anymore. And having a hole in my throat wasn't a defeat. And, I mean, those are the meaning system and things that I had let go of without trying. It just... I call it grace. I call it not only a physical phenomena that happened based on concentration and allowing the body spirit itself to function, but also something else was in play. Yes. So often in life, the adversity, the cruelest circumstances do turn out to be blessings in disguise. Yes, actually. <laughs> Your disease became your teacher. Yes. Let's take a break. I mean, we're just getting started on this. This is so wonderful, and it reaches out into so many different areas. But uh, we do want to take a short break, and then we'll come right back. We're talking about meditation, particularly Vipassana, and its relationship, which is really a meditation about watching your breath initially. And what an irony that... Juliet's experience of not being able to breathe led her eventually to becoming a teacher of Vipassana <laughs> and co-founder of the Insight Center in Westwood. We'll have more right after this short break. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. This is a message from FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, in partnership with the California Office of Emergency Services, Cal OES, and other federal, state, and local agencies. FEMA will soon complete the mission of standing up an eight-week piloted community vaccination center. 
a CVC located at Cal State LA. This was one of the first of its kind in the nation. Since February 11th, FEMA and its agency partners have successfully provided vaccination shots for more than 275,000 residents living in some of the communities hardest hit by the COVID-19 virus. FEMA, along with the state of California, is now finalizing transition plans to local authorities so that the CVC operation can continue. Both agencies are working hard to assess and determine needed resources. If you are interested in being vaccinated against COVID-19, please go to myturn.ca.gov or call 833-422-4255. Thank you. My guest today on this episode of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School is a teacher of Vipassana, co-founder of the Insight Center in Westwood, California, right here in L.A., Juliet Sapikian. And uh, unlike most of us who uh, discover meditation, the need to meditate, the opportunity that meditation represents, uh, Juliet discovered it in a most unusual way. And in many ways, it was the result of the way she healed herself that she realized that she had, in a sense, discovered or rediscovered a very ancient practice of surrendering to breath and the natural flow of life itself. Juliet, when we, uh, in our first segment, we sort of left you on death's bed there and (laughs) jumped to the idea of meditation. Uh, you obviously survived, yeah. <laughs> and we're so happy that you're here with us today. Well, the doctors were surprised too. <laughs> well, tell us about that part. So, how how did the recovery go? Well, when I was at my sister's house, um, we we did some really um, interesting things. Like my breathing tube was long enough that I could get out of bed <laughs> and go to their her kitchen and. I mean, it was so long, and I was when she had a, a two-year-old son at that point, and he would just look at me like, you know, I'm some kind of, Ooh, and we play with the tube and stuff. And um, I wasn't supposed to be able to walk or talk, and the walking happened after two, three weeks, and my nephew at that time. One time, hold my finger, and we went for, wanted to go for a walk, and I just walked to the front and back. I was like, oh, hmm, I can do this. <laughs> but I was very, I think because of the ventilator and those bubble wraps, uh, I've become very sensitive to every sensation in my body. So as I will put my foot down, I would actually feel the vibration of the ground and vibration of the my body and how it will come up. And then I will notice weakness coming over, and so I will stop. And uh, so little by little bit, and same with uh, eating. I was still had a feeding tube, and one day my sister just had the Persian uh, kebab, <laughs> and we were sitting and talking, and I'm not even thinking anything. I just grabbed a piece of meat and put it in my mouth and started chewing and swallowing. And I noticed everybody staring at me. 
I go, what? I'm sorry if I touched it with my hand. What did I do? And they started crying and laughing and saying, you just swallowed food. <laughs> so we went back to the doctors after, I think, three months. And everybody was shocked, one, that I'm alive. Because I don't know if I mentioned it or not. I told my sister it's any day now. <laughs> And uh, two, that I was walking on my own and that I wanted to have them take the feeding tube out. And let me tell you, that was a painful experience. (laughs) But they were all shocked. They're like, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And like my gastrointestinal doctor, he actually cried. It's like, you're a miracle. You're an absolute miracle. <laughs> and I think it's not only the, the what happened with the ventilator and the meditation and continuing meditation in a more formal uh, way. And uh, every year uh, going to California Vipassana Center for 10-day silent meditation and then finding my teacher, I was Suneem, and studying the Satipatthana Sutta about details of meditation and as well as um, prayers, <laughs> I mean, I'm a Baha'i and I believe in the power of prayers. And everybody around the world was praying um, for me. And I, at times, I really, really felt I was in a state of grace. You know, according to most authorities, Vipassana is traced back to Buddha 2,500 years ago, though some say. Buddha rediscovered Vipassana. I'm not sure that that matters, but I think you, in a sense, discovered on your own as a result of your illness what mindfulness and self-awareness really means. And by relaxing and letting go and engendering that floating feeling, by being aware of the way those bubble wraps, as you call them, massaging your arms and your legs. I've been in hospital with those on. Um, and you do feel sort of like there's, you know, there's a machine working on you. There's a robot. You don't, uh, there's no point in resisting the robot, right? So when you turn your breathing over to the ventilator and allow that to happen, mm-hmm. Is that not like turning your life over to divine will and accepting that life is what it is and you and I and everyone else are limited in our silly attempts to micromanage our lives? (laughs) Yes, and at the same time, I uh, hesitated. You know, people tell me, write a book, write a book, give it up. And I've been very hesitant because um, each experience has a different meaning for different people. So the ventilator at that time, hindsight being twenty twenty, looking at it, I can tell that by uh, accepting the help from the ventilator and the rhythm of the ventilator, that letting go happen and the healing started. And at the same time, I can say that it was the prayers 
in addition to all of this, that was also reaching me. And I can also say it, I mean, I was meditating when I was eight. Apparently I was very active <laughs> young lady. And my mother was like, oh, you're going to meditate, sit down. <laughs> and uh, she taught me how to meditate by um, uh, the candle, which is a Sufi way. And when I came to the United States, I um, followed TA. And in my training as a family therapist, there's a lot of different um, self-examination and self-observations that you do in order to cleanse yourself and clear yourself. So when you're with a client, you are a vessel there for the client. So I had all of that background. And so I used to say, no, that's what happened. And <laughs> my friends will say, not if you didn't have the background. <laughs> you know, yes, it happened, but you had the groundwork, like you had some of the vocabulary and you had some of the basic training. So whether that's true or not, I leave it up to the listener and, and how each person has a meaning system as to how they see things and perceive things. Well, there are scores of types of meditation, but I've always thought of Vipassana as being the beginning for some reason. In my mind, it's the ground of meditation because it allows you to begin to develop an awareness of yourself, not as the one who's breathing, but the observer or the witness of the breath, of the body breathing itself. And in time, I applied that to my thoughts and feelings, and I realized, well, I'm not the thinker, mm -hmm. and I'm not simply this emotional being. Mm -hmm. I can take a step back or above, sort of an elevated perspective, um, detached or maybe better said non-attached because I am involved, mm -hmm. and witness this game that my brain is playing, this mind game of all of these thoughts, most of which are not intentional. They're just like the monkey mind, the roof brain chatter yes. that goes on when we're not applying ourselves to solving a problem or reading or understanding or something. And that's a very freeing, very liberating it is. place to exist, even if only for 10 or 15 minutes. Yes, but a lot of people have a hard time I had to break it down to like needy greedy in order for people to understand. And that's where the, the teaching through Satipatthana came through. You know, our five senses from time of birth receive messages. And then there's a history, there's a familial, there's a cultural meaning system. We never fully aware of the uh, what's being stored and how we are being formed, how we perceive ourselves, how we identify ourselves, not only what our life should be, could be, but who am I and what's my role in life and in the world and what is success and what is not, what is happiness, what is not, what is desire. You know, my teacher <laughs> said a lot of, you know, as you said, that desire is a negative thing. And he was like, oh, my God, if we didn't have desire, we wouldn't live because you need to have a desire for food <laughs> in order to eat. But there's a difference between desire as a little lizard or desire as a 
full-grown <laughs> monster or the desire being a little drip, drip of the water in a faucet or the roof coming down from all the gushing <laughs> of the rain and water coming through. So that helped me a lot to look at, okay, um, if I'm feeling this way or if I'm thinking this way, how come I'm thinking this way? How come I'm feeling this way? But not while I'm sitting. Um, you start with the breath because the breath is something that exists between external and internal world. Breath is something that it's always there. You don't have to remember <laughs> what am I supposed to do? What was the word? You know, breath is breath. And he also gives us a false sense of control that I can choose when I breathe. But at some point, <laughs> you really have to let go and let the breathing happen. So breath itself teaches us things. And then it also allows us, the tip of nostrils, the breath, to develop physical sensitivity to sensations, which as we con concentration develops, understanding develops, uh, the sensation of the nostrils start increasing to, you know, gradually going all over your head, your body, and there's a technique, um, um, body scan, that you actually just do that. And I think that was the process that I'm not quite sure how it happened at the hospital, but I knew it happened. I mean, between the ventilator and the bubbles, I literally experienced my body not as solid, but as a vibration. And it was so yummy. <laughs> it's like, oh, more, more, more. But every time I wanted to hold on to it, it would stop. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, trying to hold on to it. Yeah. We see that dilemma in love. We objectify love and we want to hold on to it and of course yes. holding on is a fear response yes so uh besides love is everywhere so why would you need to hold on to it it's like air yes a fish doesn't need to carry water to its destination exactly it'll be wet exactly when it gets there so uh it, it's just always been curious to me and i've been meditating over 40 years now how many of us, and even in my own life, how often I am seduced by the external world of objects and forms to the point that I lose track of the interior mm -hmm. and the experience inside that to a large degree is projecting that external world. Yeah. And to be mindfully aware of, you were talking about walking, as your foot touches the ground, yes. I guess first you have to kick off your shoes, right? No, with the shoes. I, I, were, with sa I had sandals, you know, those very thin uh, flip-flops uh, was all I could tolerate, uh, the weight on my body. The, uh, <laughs> I mentioned this a few weeks ago. The Buddhist uh, monk Thich Nhat Hanh talks about in his books on mindful walking, walk as if your feet are kissing the earth. Mm -hmm. And to be aware of walking in that way, to do nothing but observe yourself walking while you walk is such a 
a radical idea. I mean, or mindful eating. We see that as a social occasion. Or if we're alone, we'll sit in front of the TV or read the back of the cereal box or something. The idea of putting your awareness on what you eat while you eat, again, is a quality of mindfulness that we can develop with Vipassana, right? Um, yes, and the, again, you know, the meaning systems and all that are thing of understanding of and personal experiences that comes into is that walking meditation is not about how slow you walk. <laughs> it's about how aware are you of the sensations, whether it's your foot going. I mean, now I, I have to be in a 10-day silent retreat in order to feel any vibration. <laughs> but, you know, having been in the ICU for two months, that <laughs> by itself allowed the increased sensitivity of sensation. So it's not something that it happens to me now. And uh, But when I walk now, I am, I am aware of the foot is down. Oh, my knee is going this. Oh, yeah, it went up there. Okay, next foot. And I'm not going slow, and I'm not going systematically. I'm just, oh, this awareness. Oh, that awareness. And then wind comes on my face, and oh, that awareness. So it's just being present and being aware. It's not about how slow you walk, because you can walk slow and daydream. Same with eating. It's about being the taste of the food, like not taking a teacher as a very good example, because you had a very nice, juicy apple before and so that's your perception of how apple's supposed to be. And you take a different variety of apple, very good apple, and you bite it. But because it's not what you expected, you spit it out and go, oh, this is not a good apple. <laughs> and it's the same thing. So being aware of that level of desire, being aware of that level of uh, sensual attachments, you know, taste, smell, hear, and and seeing. This is pretty. This is not. This is <laughs> the other day in the backyard. We were talking, like um, there was a hawk that passed by and just sat, and we we're all sitting in silence looking at it, and then it flew away. And then there was a crow. I came and sat and everybody's like, "Ah, go away, shoo, shoo!" And, it wasn't like I was being like, ooh, spiritual. It was just, I was, I was like, that's interesting. Both birds are the same size. Both birds, same and sat on a similar spot. But both are birds. One we consider majestic, and we the other will go, <laughs> because of the cultural uh attachments and the meanings around that. And so that's true about all of our senses receive the information and that's how mind is created and developed. So trying to jigsaw puzzle or kick apart or click it this way, click it that way and see why am I thinking this? Why am I? And that has allowed me to actually be more myself rather than 
having a fight with someone. Oh, you don't listen to me. Is I'm able to say, uh, I'm afraid I'm losing you. That's nice. That's a nice technique. And and it's and it's like now I know this is you know bounce butting head is not necessary if I'm true to myself and if I know what it is I need and I feel then communication becomes very easy and I actually do this with my client I keep trying to have them go they keep going to the argument with the spouse or the sister or the brother and I go what is it that you're missing that you're having this fight what is it that you need and what do you need to hear? And people go, what? What do you mean? <laughs> well, I think what they need to hear is acknowledgement. People, if they get acknowledged, they don't really need agreement. We think we need agreement. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to either win the argument or lose the argument. But that's the lizard brain. That's the <laughs> amygdala, you know, the fight or flight center. What we really crave is acknowledgement. Uh-huh. I hear you. I understand you. I may not agree with you. In fact, I really don't agree with much of what you say. Yes. But I'm hearing you and I'm listening and I'm thinking and feeling. And that's all people really want. I don't know why it's such a mystery. Well, I do know why. I do know why. (laughs) I do know why. Because when we get emotionally worked up, we lose that awareness. And also the presence of ego. I think that's one of the things that I lost having nine tubes keeping me awake. <laughs> you had to give it up. You just cut up. Eagles go out the window. <laughs> you had to give it up. By the way, your story about the hawk and the crow reminds me of a similar feeling I have about squirrels and rats. It, I, that was another example we had because it happened and my neighbors are like looking at me and goes, well, okay, right on. No, I can't transfer. <laughs> <laughs> I still <don't> <laughs> Squirrels are just rats with fuzzy tails. That's all. It's the tail that makes them so endearing. Listen, um, I know you're a marriage, family, and child therapist, and we're just about out of time. But are you using Vipassana as other therapists do in their practice, whether it's couples counseling or anxiety disorders or... Other issues? I do, but not like other therapists. I don't uh, take the techniques of meditation and tell them, do this. I invite them to sit with themselves silent for seven minutes. And some are quiet, some are that it's just them and they feel safe and there's not a lot of noise or a lot of light. And just being alone with themselves, it's like either very scary or very powerful. And putting the focus on the sensation allows the mind to calm down. You know, it's like if you have a bottle full of gunk and it's always shaken because you're always on the move, all this stuff floating all over the place, you can't really see anything. But if you put the bottle down, you know, things will settle in the bottom, and one by one, you can see, oh, I have that. Oh, look, what's that? And then over time, things will bubble up to the surface, and you can see whether they're useful or not. Nice allegory. So that's how I use it in 
in my con with my clients because just saying pay attention to your breath or acceptance or oh, compassion you know it's like uh you know, like that's one of the misunderstood concept compassion compassion is not something you practice compassion is something that arises as a result of your practice which gives rise to your your own acceptance which gives rise to wisdom which gives rise to compassion it's like baking a cake <laughs> smell of the cake is not baking the cake <laughs> <laughs> Juliet how can people get more information about you i'm sure your classes are still virtual and uh yet we're rounding the corner one of these days in the not too distant future will all be opening up. Yes, hopefully. So uh, in the meantime, how can folks get in touch with you and find out more about the Insight Center in Westwood? Well, we have our own website, insightcenter.org. And it's a history that has a, my bio, my business partner, my teacher. And it has a detailed item as, as to what we offer, what services we offer, but also the, the, some of the teaching. Um, the Insight Center came out of combining LA Dharma, which was all about meditation, which my business partner had, and my practice, Hollow Read, which was uh, family therapy and putting them together. <laughs> Since the COVID, I haven't had that m- much in person, I mean, I have any in-person teaching. And for me, um, I teach meditation by being in a room and energetically sense, seeing how people are receiving and responding and reacting. But I have seen clients on on Zoom and Skype, and but so far I haven't been able to quite do the teaching of meditation. But we do have um, training for the therapist or um, pre-licensed uh, people who would like uh, to learn their workshops, of course, online. And there are also support groups for pre-licensed and licensed, not only through this COVID that can be helpful, but also the usage of um, the pasana and uh, the science, combination of the science. We both are very much into the empirical value. And there are a lot of articles on both sides, the spiritual, the teaching of Buddha, and the scientific aspect. Insightcenter.org. My direct number, and I, my cell phone is 310-261-7663. Again, 310 310- Two six one seven six six three. It's a confidential voicemail, and you can reach me anytime if I'm asleep or not available. My phone is off, and I'm pretty good at returning calls. Well, you can send me an email, Juliet J U L I E T at insightcenter.org. Perfect. Juliet Sapikian, marriage, family, child therapist, and co-founder of the Insight Center in Westwood. Juliet, thank you so much. What a fascinating story. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind that you should be teaching and that, as strange as it may sound, this horrible grave illness that you suffered was indeed a gift. Yes. And uh, Thank you for having me. It's been very interesting. Thank you.
You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner on KPFK, and we'll be right back after this. The Car Show has aired on KPFK since 1973, and perhaps you have a car that's been sitting in your driveway since 1973 or 1993, or maybe you're still driving it, but it's time to say goodbye. Get rid of that thing and help KPFK at the same time. Your donation of your old car gets it out of your life and helps KPFK as a tax-deductible donation, and not just cars, trucks, boats, and motorcycles are also welcome. It's easy. Just call 877-KPFK-AUTO and we'll handle all the details. Let your old car help KPFK. And welcome back to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm your host, Michael Benner. We're heard every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock on 90.7 FM all through the Southern California area in Santa Barbara, 98.7, down in North San Diego County, 93.7, And in the high desert, you can pick us up at 99.5 FM. And wherever in the world you happen to be, live streaming at kpfk.org. Once again, I want to thank our guest today, Juliet Sapikian, for her explanation of Vipassana and the miraculous impact that learning to meditate had on her healing which at the time, if you heard the story we just did, was undiagnosed. And doctors not only didn't know what it was, but what to do about it. And yet, she effectively discovered meditation and used Vipassana, an ancient form of very basic meditation, to heal herself, to learn to speak again, to learn to walk again. It's a remarkable story. And if you tuned in late, This program is podcast under the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on all platforms. And for seven days, until the next show comes up, streams on demand at theagelesswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of it. The W is dot theagelesswisdom.com. And you could also download from that built-in player as well. We've just got about uh, eight or nine minutes left in the program, but I do want to talk a little about the spring fund drive for KPFK. This is how we sustain ourselves, how we support ourselves. This is how we pay the bills. I'm sure you've noticed there are no commercial announcements on this radio station. Never have been, never will be. We'll go bankrupt. We'll go dark. We'll we'll disappear before we're going to start taking corporate money. Not only are the commercials themselves irritating, but they imply an editorial content. And I've got enough background in commercial radio that I know that's a very real thing. I've had many arguments with management when a commercial sponsor tried to influence the way I was doing a news program or the way I handled myself in a talk show. And it's not pretty. It's not nice. And it certainly happens. It happens a lot. Uh, Do you remember that explosion in front of the AT&T building in Nashville where that van blew up and took out a whole city block uh, just a few weeks ago? Boy, you did not hear about that story for more than 24 hours, and it was gone. Why? AT&T shut it down because it was about... The 5G controversy. 
and AT&T, which is a huge commercial sponsor of radio, TV, print. They, they're going to do everything that they can to suppress information about 5G being controversial. So that story disappeared. No follow-up. You didn't hear anything about who was the bomber or what was his real motive or was there any credence to the rumors that it was his way of protesting 5G? That's the kind of power and influence that commercial advertisers have and the reason that from the beginning in the 1950s, this radio station committed itself to being listener-sponsored and non-commercial, you see. That gives us as hosts the opportunity to provide you with provocative and often controversial information. That's a pretty fundamental concept in a free speech democracy, and yet where else are you going to get that kind of news and information except KPFK and its sister stations in the Pacifica Group in Berkeley and Houston, Washington, D.C., and New York City. So when you make a contribution, you get a wonderful feeling of fulfillment, but you also know that you're investing in news and information in the same way that you pay for a book or that you buy a newspaper or a magazine. And it doesn't take a lot of money. I like the whole idea of using the sustainer circle so that as little as 10 bucks a month gets drawn right out of your bank account, easy peasy, you just... Go to kpfk.org slash donate with your web browser. Click on Sustainer Circle and make your pledge of $10, $25, $50, $100 a month, whatever your conscience dictates. And use your ATM card, your credit or debit card, and it's painless. You won't even miss it. Plus, you get a real nice tax deduction at the end of the year. Another point I'd have you consider that I touched on briefly last week is that if you find these fund drives irritating or any appeal for a donation, a contribution, or a pledge during our fund drive to be frustrating, perhaps it's evidence that your conscience is tugging at you. And I assure you, people that make a regular contribution to this radio station, within their means... Don't suffer that irritation or that frustration when they hear an appeal during the fund drive. Wouldn't that be nice if when we go into a fund drive or you hear a little eight, ten-minute spiel by someone like me that you can sit back and luxuriate in the benefits of knowing that you're already part of that, that you're donating your 10 or $25 every month with the Sustainer Circle. Are there perks? Are there little premiums that you can draw upon? Yeah, of course. You go to the website or call 818-985-5735. You can get information on little thank you gifts and such, but that costs money. Even mailing them to you costs money. And if you say thanks, but no thanks, don't really need the perk, don't really need the kickback, you can keep the premium then more of your money goes to keeping this radio station on the air and paying the bills. They're substantial. We have a, a building here that's mortgaged. We have a transmitter on top of Mount Wilson. We have a small staff of people that need to be here every day. 
The majority of us, of course, the on-air people in particular, we're volunteers for the most part. And yet we make our contributions too. I've contributed to this radio station twice already this year. I mean, money, in addition to the six or eight hours I put into every one of these programs, booking them and doing the interview and all that's involved in getting it to you on the air, which I do because I love it, number one, but number two, because I really think it's making a difference. Not only in Los Angeles and Southern California, but around the world. We're live streaming on the internet and we're podcasting. It's quite likely there are more people listening to us outside the range of our radio station than within it. And so we appeal to you as well, whether you live in Asia or the Middle East or Europe, Central, South America, Africa, wherever you happen to be, Antarctica, are you listening? Make a pledge. Help us out. (laughs) I don't know any other place you're going to get this kind of programming. It's all here for you, providing you help us out. 818-985-5735 if you want to call our remote phone rooms because of COVID. You're still talking to people who are in phone rooms. I'm not sure where they happen to be at this point. We'll have phone rooms in the building locally once COVID is over. Right now, your call will go to some sort of talk center, 818-985-5735. They'll have the information there. Or just go online, take your time, kpfk.org slash donate. kpfk.org slash donate. Look for Sustainer's Circle. Poke around in there, take your time, and make that contribution today. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being part of the KPFK family and the community. And join us next week and every Tuesday at 1 in the afternoon for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. This is Michael Benner. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. So long from Los Angeles.